So the reading tonight is from uh, John chapter 21, verses 1 to 14. And it's called Jesus and the Miraculous Catch of Fish. And it can be found on page 1090 of the Church Bibles. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of the fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it, and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which says of itself that it is a light to our feet, a lamp to our path. We pray this evening as we reflect on this story together, Heavenly Father, that uh, your word may become just that, truly a, a light to our path, indicating to us the way we should go and the way we should walk. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This evening, I really just want to uh, reflect with you on, on these verses. Um, we are continuing our Easter reflections. Last uh, Sunday was Easter Sunday, and we looked at John chapter 20. Uh, this week and next week, we'll be looking at uh, John chapter 21. And so over these three weeks, we'll be reflecting on the Easter story and its relevance for us today. I want to look at, uh, at this first story here, the story of the extraordinary catch of fish and then the breakfast on the beach that Jesus had with his disciples. 
And uh, just to get us orientated a little bit, um, a few pictures. It's been a great privilege for me to visit uh, the Holy Land twice. And um, one of the most evocative places is the traditional site for this story. It's on the shores of Lake Galilee, of, of course. Um, but it is essentially just a simple beach area. Um, no great development has taken place there across, uh, across the centuries. It's just a, a, a rough beach area. Um, and it's the traditional site of this story. And it is absolutely no problem. It is the easiest thing in the world to stand on that beach and imagine this story taking place, to look out across the lake and to, in your mind's eye, recreate the story. Um, so perhaps just to share that a little bit with you. Um, the Lake, lake Galilee is extraordinarily beautiful for its significance in human history. It doesn't have to be beautiful, but it is extraordinary. And this is the morning light with the sun rising over the Jordanian hills. Our story takes place in the early morning. And so it could well have been just a, a delightful and uh, colorful and uh, in, inspiring morning, just as uh, this picture indicates. We're standing on the, uh, the hill, which is again a traditional site of the uh, Sermon on the Mount and looking down uh, onto the, the beach area uh, that's associated with this story. <clears throat> the beach itself looks like this. If we can see the next slide, there we go. It's just a, a rough bit of beach. Um, nothing, it hasn't been uh, uh, developed, it hasn't been cleaned up particularly and you can stand there and uh, time passes, slips away. It could, you could have been there on that uh, magical morning 2,000 years ago. And another picture, there, there is some change in the environment. People, a lot of people visit there, of course, and so uh, quite a lot of gravel's been put down on the beach, but nonetheless, uh, it's a place where um, the imagination is, is really set free. And one more picture, no, two more pictures. The only development that's taken place on the beach is the building of this small church, small chapel. I, I don't think it's intrusive at all. It's just a, a lovely little chapel, which is a good place for, for prayer. There's some lovely icons in there about the uh, uh, events that happened on that beach. And it's just a, a very evocative, a very powerful, and a, a very lovely place to be able to visit. And my final picture is just a, an artistic um, representation of what that scene might have looked like as Jesus and his disciples gathered around the breakfast he prepared. Thank you. The way this story is put together gives us the keys to how we are to read it and how we are to receive it. <coughs> The NIV, um, which is the translation of the Bible that we use at St. Saviour's here, is excellent in many, many ways, but it really does fall short in this passage. Um, it uses the word at the beginning that afterwards Jesus appeared again to his disciples. The actual word there is much better translated into English as revealed. And actually in this first sentence, it's used twice in a way that clearly underlines it 
uh, almost as if it's the title of the passage. So other tra another translation of it, which captures the, uh, the wording better, it, it goes like this. Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee, and here is how he revealed himself. So it's rather clumsy in English. Um, it's the same thing just said twice, but it's done so deliberately and for a purpose to just draw our attention to the word revealed. This story is about revelation. Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples, and here is how he revealed himself. And if we'd not picked that up adequately when reading it uh, through, it comes again in verse 14. This was now the third time Jesus was revealed, that Jesus revealed himself to his disciples. So it's framed by this word revealed. It's about revelation and what it means here is this story, this passage explains to us how the risen Christ reveals himself to his disciples then and for all subsequent disciples. That's what we are meant to pick up from the way this story is framed. We know from the way that John writes his, his gospel in other places that he was deeply concerned not just for his immediate readers and for people who in a sense had some personal association with the story of Jesus but for all subsequent generation of believers. He states that very, very clearly uh, in his gospel um, and that there is indeed a special blessing, a special privilege for us who never saw Jesus in the flesh we're not part of that story, but yet have heard the story and have believed. And he's our Lord and Saviour. And John says there's a special blessing for people like that. And this story is consequently for us. This story is here so that we may understand better how it is that the risen Christ, the risen Lord, makes himself known, reveals himself to his disciples in all generations. So it's really rather important. It's really rather crucial that we, we get hold of this. Otherwise, our Christianity can very easily become a, a way of uh, remembering ancient things and not a current encounter and a current experience. And this passage is written so that we may know just that. Underlying it is this question, really. How will the risen Lord reveal himself, speak with, and meet his people in all future times? That's the question which underlies this passage. And that's why it's of such crucial importance to us to get inside it and to realize what he is saying. There is another phrase which is used three times in, in this passage. Um, and in a way is underlining the very same point. I expect you spotted that. Um, if we come down to after the, uh, the fish have been caught and the disciples are beginning to drag it in and the penny drops for the unnamed disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, who may be the author of the gospel. And this, disciples, this disciple says... It is the Lord. And then immediately we find it repeated. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, 
he threw on an outer garment and jumped into the, the, the sea and uh, struggled to, to land. I, I, I love the way it's structured there, that just as in the opening verse, uh, the word revealed is quickly repeated uh, to flag up for us, remember this, remember this, this is what it's all about. So here in the passage, the phrase, it is the Lord, is repeated quickly, as if to say, this is the key, hold on to this, this is the way you, you need to be thinking. And it comes a third time. It uh, uh, happens just in, in just the same way. Um, when they are gathered round, having the breakfast on the beach, um, none of the disciples dared ask this stranger on the beach, who are you? No one dared ask that because they knew it was the Lord. So this is the heart of, of this story that you and I, as the latest generation of the disciples of Jesus Christ, as the latest generation of those who have been persuaded and have encountered in some way Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, alive to his people now, we should be people who have eyes and ears and our senses alert to how Christ reveals himself in our time and in our lives such that we can say, it is the Lord. This is really important, isn't it? This is, this is really where we want to be. This is really where we want to be more equipped, more sensitive, more aware, and to have uh, that awareness in our lives that allows us to recognize those moments when they come. John then, in, his, in this passage, says, and there are two ways in which you need to be able to do this. There are two ways in which you should be alert and aware to recognize the moment when you should be saying, it is the Lord. The two things are these. First of all, we need to be the people to whom we, Jesus reveals himself through his word. And secondly, we need to be the kind of people to whom Jesus reveals himself through his meal, echoing uh, two aspects of this story. What I find really interesting is that there is another resurrection story which, although very different, has exactly these same themes running through it. And that's the story of the road to Emmaus and the two disciples uh, who are walking on that road. Many of you will, will know that story. Um, if you don't, I, I really suggest you go home and read this story again and then Luke chapter 24, which has that story. Very different stories, but at the heart of them are these same lessons. They're both stories which are about everyday life. They are not in Jerusalem, in the upper room, with all the disciples gathered together, like the, as if they are the first church, which indeed they are. So it's not in that sense a churchy story. It's a story about disciples who've decided that it's time to go and earn their daily bread. It's time to go back to their professions, time to go back fishing and put some, put some food on the table on the one hand, and on the other, it's about two disciples who, for whatever reason, have decided uh, not to stay in Jerusalem any longer, but to leave the scene where everything had been happening and to go home, in a state of disillusion. So they're both disciples who, in a sense, have moved away from the heart of things, moved away from church, moved away 
from the, the, the fellowship gathering. And it is in those contexts that they discover the risen Lord. And we need to know that too, don't we? We, I believe truly, I believe passionately that in our gathering here, many a time, uh, we are aware of the presence of the risen Christ and we are responsive to it. Sometimes we are not alert, not aware, and it passes us by, but many times we, we are aware. And uh, uh, we know what that's like. And this is a place that's been richly blessed in that kind of way. But we need to know, we need to know that the risen Lord is with us and the risen Lord makes himself known to us, reveals himself to us in our daily lives, in our workplaces, our working lives, in our communities, in our homes, um, our domestic lives and, and so on. We need to know that the Christian faith and the reality of Christ risen from the dead is with us in those places too. And what's interesting is that both these stories say, and there are two ways in which you need to be alert to this. There are two ways in which you need to be really awake. One is you need to be awake to the word of Christ, to scripture primarily, and you need to be alert to how he is present in contexts of hospitality, generosity, welcome when people gather for a meal. You need to be aware of him in the scriptures and you need to be aware of him when you celebrate communion together. You need to be aware of him when in daily life when the word of God comes in a multitude of different ways and you need to be aware of him in all contexts of hospitality and fellowship and, and welcome. You need to be present and alert and aware of the risen Lord in both contexts and both dimensions. And that's essentially what this story is about. Let me just tease them out a little bit, but I think once, you know, having said that, I think you, in a sense, can do that work uh, yourself. The first of them is uh, that Jesus reveals himself through his word. And it's, it's interesting in, in this story, I think, that it, it unfolds quite, quite naturally, quite conversationally, as we might meet someone uh, on the street or in daily life and just begin a conversation. There's a stranger on the shore. They don't know who he is. He's just a, a, a man on the shore and he calls out to them and begins a conversation. Friends, he says, um, have you caught any fish? Haven't you caught any fish? I'm told actually that fishermen don't like that question. It's uh, a rather embarrassing one because usually they haven't. And, um, but nonetheless, this is how the conversation opens up. Haven't you caught any fish? And then he says to them, why don't you try something new? Try my idea. Why don't you put out the nets on the, on the other side of the boat? Highly un, uh, unprofessional comment. Fishermen know better than that, to know that the side of the boat matters this way or that. And anyway, they tried everything all night. A conversation opens up. It's actually a rather awkward and unpersuasive conversation. But what that conversation does is it awakes memory. Peter remembered such an event before. Peter remembered how he started following Jesus altogether. That had started some few years earlier on this very same lake where Jesus had called uh, on him to use his boat to preach to the people. Might even have been off this beach. 
And after it was over, Jesus said, you caught nothing last night. You caught no fish last night. Let's go fishing again. Let's try one more time. Throw your nets again. And Peter says, ah, we've tried all night. But, but to humor you, because you've asked me, I'd, we'll do it again. And there's a great catch of fish. And out of that, Peter uh, hears the call of Christ. And Jesus says to him, you're a fisherman. You catch fish. Come with me and I'll teach you to catch people. Come with me and I will teach you to catch people. And so that was a really formative experience for Peter. That changed his life. It turned him from a fisherman into an evangelist, from a fisherman into a missionary. And forever on after that, the business of catching fish for Peter was to do with the kingdom of God and was to do with the call of Christ and was to do with gathering people to be followers of Jesus. And so the penny drops and the one disciple says, you know, it's the Lord. This is what he does. This is what he's like. We've been here before. And Peter says, it is the Lord. And so he plunges into the, into the water. The NIV is a little bit disappointing at this point too. It more strictly means he'd stripped naked to go fishing and now he puts on something to make himself a bit more respectable. Uh, the NIV dodges that one as well. It's not its best moment, this, uh, this chapter. But it's the word of Christ which they are sensitive to, which they hear and which alerts them to the fact that this is no stranger on the shore. It is the Lord. And the second way is that Jesus reveals himself through the meal that he provides. And this is the other context in which we read, they, ha they have no need to say, who are you? Because they all know it is the Lord. It is the risen Lord. And I think this has uh, two, two sides to it. Um, again, if we go back to the Emmaus story, you, uh, those of you who know that story will remember that it finishes with Jesus going in to, um, have, to stay the night and to have a meal. And strangely, the, the guest becomes the host. And it's Jesus, not the, uh, not the host who invited him in, who takes the bread. And he does something which is so characteristic of Jesus that they know immediately. He takes the bread, he offers it for God's blessing, he breaks it and he gives it to them. And their eyes are opened and they recognize him. Why do they recognize him? Because there is something about that that was, is really Jesus-like. We read in the gospel, that's exactly what he did with the two loaves and the five fishes at the feeding of the 5,000. That he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. It's exactly what he did at the Last Supper. He took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. And it's what he does in this story. It's not actually described quite so fully um, on, on the beach, but he takes bread, he breaks it, and gives it to his disciples. And it's exactly what we do when we, when we celebrate communion. This morning we had a lovely time here because we went from the word to the meal. And uh, 
um, it, it, was very, it was a very powerful, powerful moment. But I don't know if you've ever recognized, but when we take communion together, we do just that because it's the distinctive act of Jesus and we are reminding each other of it. In that service, whoever is the celebrant, the person leading, takes bread, seeks God's blessing upon it, breaks it, and gives it to us. It's the distinctive act of Jesus. So we should never forget that at the heart of this story is the, is the reminder that sharing regularly as part of our common life in communion is really, is really part of the Christian life. It really it is what Christ invited us to do to remember him. It is essential. It is, we are a church that believes that we are a church of word and sacrament, of the word and of the communion service. And, but it has another resonance. It has the resonance that all contexts of welcome, hospitality, generosity, sharing of eating together have the potential to be the places where Christ is discovered. Meals are scattered all the way through the Gospels and through all the stories of Jesus. He goes home to the house of Zacchaeus to eat with him. And, and on and on and on. The house in Bethany, several meals take place there. Jesus comes and he is present to his people when they remember him distinctively in the communion service, but he is also present whenever we gather together in welcome, hospitality, and generosity. That's why we have the uh, come dine with me uh, events here once, once a term where we have the opportunity to invite each other to, to gather together for a meal on a Saturday or, or a Sunday. And that's not just so that we may meet new people and, uh, uh, and, and know each other better. That's true and that's important. But we do it because it has this distinct possibility that when we do it, we will be alert and aware to the presence of Christ amongst us in a distinctive and a powerful way. So, there we have it. That's what this story is about. That's the, what John wants us to understand about how the risen Lord reveals himself to his disciples in every generation. And these are, the key, these are key ways in which we as a church should be recognizing his presence when we meet together like this and when we are going about our, our daily business in the word of the Lord and in the meal of the Lord. There's just a final thing to be said, I think, and that what those two stories have in common, and I've uh, mentioned this already, the breakfast on the beach and the Emmaus story, is that they are not about being together in church. They are about being about our daily business. They are about our daily lives. And that's a really important thing to lay hold of, that it is true that the risen Lord is present amongst his people when we gather for worship and praise like this. But it is also true that the risen Lord is already ahead of us in the world. He is already preparing breakfast, as it were. He is already on the beach willing to speak to us. He is already there to be with us in our daily lives as disciples. And in, it is in those contexts too that we need to be alert to how he may be speaking, how he may be uh, drawing close and, and speaking to us, how he may be preparing those places of fellowship 
and welcome and generosity in which he delights to be present. We need to have eyes and ears and hearts that are tuned to those moments. This is what the resurrection of Jesus from the dead means. This is how the story resonates down through history and that's how the risen Lord is present with us now in our lives together and our, and our daily lives in the community. We need to be people who are constantly looking for those moments when we can truly say, it is the Lord.